This is a message for all the little kids out there. Be kind to your parents and have fun with them during lockdown. Kia ora, Isha. Thanks for that encouraging message. If you want to send in your own message or maybe get your kids to record one, then please go ahead and download RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free. You don't have to create an account or anything. It's literally just pushing a button and sending us your voice message. For tomorrow's episode, we're talking to epidemiologist Dr. Patricia Priest about what life looks like when we move to level three or level two. So be sure to send in any questions you might have for her. Later this episode, our producer Jesse Chang looks at what lockdown means for people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. But first, let's get to the headlines. The biggest announcement yesterday was the government's new package for small and medium-sized businesses. It comes in two parts. First is a $3 billion tax break where businesses that are forecasting losses can get tax rebates. Second, the government is extending the time frame for cancelling commercial leases from 10 days to 30 working days. One person who's been watching all of this very closely is business journalist Bernard Hickey from Newsroom. He's also host of RNZ's Two Cents Worth podcast. Bernard says the $3 billion tax break will be welcome news for businesses. And that's on top of the $9 billion in wage subsidies that have come through, mostly to uh, smaller businesses and enterprises. So that's, um, that's good news for most of those small to medium enterprises. Unfortunately, it doesn't really replace the revenues they've lost or deal with the other costs that they still have, including rent. And that's the biggest problem for many people in business right now is their inability to either renegotiate or lower the amount of rent they're paying to their landlord. There was the announcement around commercial rent. Does it go far enough? Unfortunately not. And we're hearing today from various people in the business community that um, the government's solution, which was to give landlords and tenants more time to negotiate, isn't really solving the problem. Now, the government would say that it can't change the Property Act and uh, that this is something that tenants and landlords need to work out together. But it's clear there are quite a few landlords who are pushing to the extreme to argue that they shouldn't have to uh, take any of the burden and that uh, tenants should pay the complete and normal sum, even though many simply cannot trade and cannot get into their businesses. And essentially, the... uh, problem relies on the goodwill and the um, long-term view of landlords saying, if I drive my tenant out of business, then that's going to hurt me in the long run. We heard from the Prime Minister today saying that uh, landlords needed to be good humans, and I can see why the government is saying that. The question, though, is uh, who takes the pain of this hit to the economy? And at various points along the payments chain, various people have taken various hits. So uh, if you own a business, yes, you'll get some wage subsidies for the wages of your employees, but that's not going to pay for your power or your rent or your um, telecommunications bill or whatever other bills you've got. And if you can't reduce those bills, and many of those can't be, then that's a real problem. And uh, in other countries, there has been more support from government for these other non-wage costs. 
that will be an issue that many people in business will be pushing the government for now, more support for these non-wage costs. Will the tax scheme, uh, particularly for the SMEs, will that perhaps provide some relief when it comes to their non-waged fixed costs like the rent and the insurance and the interest? No help whatsoever. Um, and it, it will mean they get some cash flow in the door quickly because obviously they're going to make losses and instead of waiting for a year and a half for the tax refund, they're going to get that money now. But remember, um, $3 billion is uh, just on 1% of GDP. And some of the forecasts are for much more significant falls in GDP. And uh, that is right now falling on uh, shareholders. So the investors in a particular property, they're seeing the value of their assets written down or written off. They are, um, in some cases, if they have debt, being put into receivership by banks. And banks are also having to make difficult calls about whether or not to tip businesses over and try and make as much money back from the sale of assets as they can, or squeeze tight, hold tight, and hope that in a couple of months things stabilise and that businesses will be able to repay the um, capital and interest that um, they haven't been able to pay over the lockdown period and afterwards. There's also a problem too that um, depending on who you talk to, anywhere from a quarter to a third of small businesses, particularly in hospitality, will not restart. And therefore, um, they will default on their debts. They, they will not be able to pay their bills and they will have creditors who will themselves be in trouble even if most of their customers are back up and operating. So this is a shock which the government has done a lot to um, offset, particularly through the wage subsidies. But if you look at uh, how much the government has spent, it's upwards of 8 9% of GDP and governments in other countries, albeit ones that have been more badly hit in a public health uh, uh, point of view and sometimes will have had longer lockdowns, their um, compensation or their government spending has been a higher amount of GDP. It's upwards 10 15%. We're not quite there yet. To be fair to the government, they're likely to come up with yet more um, spending and income support over the next two to three weeks ahead of the budget. But the pressure is really now on the government to do more to help these small businesses who have had some support from the wage subsidy but need more if they're going to be able to keep their business up and running long enough to recover once the lockdown finishes. That was Bernard Hickey, a writer for Newsroom and host of RNZ's Two Cents Worth podcast. Bernard actually had a lot more to say about the state of business under lockdown and about New Zealand's economic future once the pandemic finally ends. He gave an incredibly insightful interview, so we're going to put up the full unedited version on our feed separately. It's worth a listen. One of the industry's hardest hit by COVID-19 is the media, with plummeting advertising revenue driving staff pay cuts at MediaWorks and NZME, and hundreds of redundancies. Representatives from a range of outlets spoke at the Epidemic Response Committee about the irony of having some of the largest audiences they've ever had consuming news about the pandemic, but not enough cash flow to sustain it. Sinead Boucher from Stuff asked the government to consider redirecting advertising money they'd been putting into big corporations like Google and Facebook back into local companies. The global industry has been challenged for a long time now and it really has been 
because of the movement of consumers and advertisers to digital, we've benefited in some way from that. But the vast majority of that advertising money has gone to Google and Facebook. And um, we're competing against entities that are not um, operating under the same regulatory framework, paying the same tax um, against us, um, who are in many ways being rewarded through the spend of advertising money for some pretty bad behaviour in the terms of misinformation that they have spread um, over months and years. The Minister of Broadcasting, Chris Farfoy, told the committee that he's already been speaking to media companies about what kind of support is needed. He says he'll be announcing a package for the media sector soon and outlined what areas the government is looking to target. There were 20 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday, and we hit another milestone. More than half of the people infected with the virus have now recovered. But of course, we're not out of the woods yet. Director General of Health Ashley Bloomfield says they've confirmed a new cluster of infections in Auckland. St Margaret uh, Rest Home in Te Atatū in Auckland. Uh, that uh, facility is working very closely with the DHB to contain the spread, as our other uh, age residential care facilities do. It's not an outbreak that is confined to that facility. It has some people inside the facility and some in the community. Dr Bloomfield also released the results of an analysis of infection among healthcare workers. 115 healthcare workers have been diagnosed with COVID-19 so far. That's 8% of our total cases. There are only a small number, less than five, where we can confirm that the cause of the infection was, uh, in a, that, the, that the worker was infected by the patient they were caring for. So over half of those healthcare workers have actually been infected because of travel or they're a close contact of a case outside the workplace or part of a, a, a cluster outside of the workplace. I wanted to know how many had been infected in the course of their work, and the, the total there was 46. Um, and 39 of those are in age residential care facilities and are part of the extant clusters we have there. In just five instances, it was not immediately clear and hasn't been worked out where the infection has come from. I think what all this means is, pleasingly, there is only a relatively small number of cases involving healthcare workers that are due to transmission from a patient or a resident, in the case of ARC, uh, to the worker. And uh, in the majority of those transmissions or clusters inside healthcare settings, more staff have been infected than patients. In international news, US President Donald Trump has suspended American funding to the World Health Organization. Last year, the WHO got about 19% of its funding from the US. I'm instructing my administration to halt funding of the World Health Organization while a review is conducted to assess the World Health Organization's role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the coronavirus. Everybody knows what's going on there. President Trump went on to describe the WHO as being too China-centric in its response to the virus. Former New Zealand Prime Minister and UN Development Programme Administrator Helen Clark had strong words in response when she spoke to RNZ's Checkpoint Programme. I can't think of anything more foolish in the middle of a global pandemic, which has gone beyond being a health crisis to being a full-blown economic and social crisis, than taking away money from the World Health Organization, which is so critical in the fight against the health aspects of the pandemic.
Does he have any point when he raises concerns about how this has been handled by who? In my opinion, no substantive point. Look, at the end of this ghastly matter, and we don't know when that will be, for sure the WHO will do a full review and lessons learned. But this is a, a, a virus which we knew absolutely nothing about four months ago, almost nothing about three months ago, and everybody is scrambling to keep up. So in a sense, to defund and make accusations against WHO is to, is to shoot the messenger that's been trying to tell the world for several months that this is serious and countries need to prepare. The novelty of being in lockdown is wearing off, which is bad news for all of us, but potentially even more dangerous for drug users. Our producer, Jesse Chang, speaks to the Drug Foundation about what their advice is and what family members and friends can do. One in five New Zealanders have what the Ministry of Health calls a hazardous drinking problem. That's nearly 790,000 people who have a drinking pattern that risks physical or mental harm. A survey by the Ministry of Health over the last two years also shows that 15% of people over the age of 15 used cannabis in the last 12 months. And our meth problem comes as a surprise to no one. Wastewater testing suggests that every week New Zealanders spend nearly $10 million on the drug. So what happens when you ask these people to stay at home for four weeks? Being in a closed environment, like a household, for a long period of time is challenging for anybody. Um, and people who are at the extremes of drug use where usually there's very limited flex room for, for challenges in their life. And this is a situation that can accentuate those challenges and, and make it much, much harder to be able to work through. That's Ben Burks Ang from the New Zealand Drug Foundation. His main message to drug users, stop or reduce the use. That's the ideal situation. If they've been using to the point where they're quite dependent on it and stopping use or making changes to their use is likely to have even more of a negative impact on them and their household, then any chances that they're able to reduce it, making sure that they've got things in place so that they're able to reduce the impact onto other people in the household. Some of the stuff that we've been thinking about and talking with services about is usually when people use drugs, there's a lot of stuff that's in how they use it that protects other people in their life from it. But in this case, they're going to be in the same household all the time. If you have kids, for example, there's there's no way to hide what happens in a household um, yeah. or it becomes much harder to be able to hide that from others in the household. So being able to have that discussion with others in the in the house about what it looks like, what is manageable during this time without trying to completely change everything, which is a difficult situation anyway, let alone being in a in a lockdown kind of environment. Uh, some of the stuff that we're thinking about as well is if we start seeing more of the kind of homemade drugs that are, are on the market um, for people to buy as the kind of supply chain gets disrupted through less flights across the country and, and less travel um, or less travel 
of uh, transport of the precursor ingredients, then it increases the risk that whatever is in the substance is um, potentially not what it is that they think it is, mm. or it could be topped up with other stuff. So our advice to people in that setting is to try and use as less as possible if they're in one of those positions where they need to use something that will reduce the chances that they will use too much and get into that overdose kind of situation, um, which again will would need a, a health response. The other things for those groups is across the country there are good needle exchange services as well. Um, so making sure that they have access to clean equipment still if they're needing to do that. With COVID-19 being spread through uh, droplets, there's an increased risk um, that they could catch something there. So being sure that preparations are on a clean surface, preparing their own stuff to reduce potential contamination with other people. And we also have AA and NA groups have shifted to virtual uh, meetings. So there's opportunities for people to still connect in with that community through Zoom when it works, then hopefully they've got um, the internet access to be able to do that. Ben Burks Ang says the foundation has been busy working with other health services to get vital information out, and that's important for things like withdrawal symptoms. He says more people will start to have them as the lockdown cuts access to drugs. What we've um, noticed is that there is a lot of people that are asking about withdrawal symptoms. Um, I think being at the kind of early stage of a lockdown, there there's still a little bit of buffer space in some people's life situation. So they might be noticing more of those withdrawal symptoms. We've had a few people checking out, are these withdrawal symptoms or are they symptoms that we are sick, um, potentially with COVID-19? You know, that usual kind of anxious process that probably we're all going through with every little niggle. But for people who are withdrawing, you do feel sick for a while as your body starts to heal itself. Can you briefly run me through some of those symptoms? So the stages where you need to, maybe this is the time to call the doctor and whether this is the time to actually go to hospital. Most people, their withdrawal symptoms will disappear within a, a few days to a week. Um, some stuff like difficulty sleeping will last for a little bit longer, but common symptoms that they can have that they're able to stay at home and rest for are things like having nightmares, um, feeling restless or irritable or anxious, difficulty sleeping, having cravings for the substances that they were using before is really common as well, mm. and feeling uh, sore in their muscles as their body gets used to a new normal and starts healing itself. If they are starting to vomit or have diarrhea, have sensitivity to sound, light and touch, having changes to their heart rate, mm -hmm. um, shakes or tremors or um, having heavy sweating or chills, uh, if some of that anxiety settles in a low mood or having thoughts about hurting themselves, that's a sign that they need to call their doctor or the alcohol drug helpline or a drug and alcohol service to, to get some support and get some advice about that. And then at that highest level, the most serious symptoms to look out for for drug and alcohol withdrawal is if they start feeling very confused and disorientated, if they start seeing, hearing, or feeling things that aren't there, so those kind of hallucinations, delusions, and psychosis, 
as -hmm. they ever lose consciousness during that time or experience seizure, that's definitely a time to call 111 straight away. But what has got the Drug Foundation and other health services most worried is this period when we're on the home stretch but not quite at the finish line. Some of the the more novelty factor for for being in lockdown, being in a closed environment has disappeared and a little bit more of the strain is coming through. I think for for families that were struggling already and and had somebody in there who was experiencing a lot of challenges with their drug and alcohol use, they'll have an even shorter fuse than they had right at the start of the process. Um, right. So we're looking out for it flowing across into other areas like domestic violence or something like that as issues get to that boiling point within the households. We're also keeping an eye out for people who have been away from substances for a while that as the kind of the normalcy of the new the new normal of being in lockdown comes through that they start taking a, a few more risks and potentially leaving their house to just do that one trip down the road to somebody to pick up some more supplies or something like that. Um, And what that potentially could look like, particularly with the changes in drug supplies that we are expecting that we'll start seeing. Um, We're also keeping an eye on if there are people that would substitute substances for others that are a little bit more accessible, but might be more harmful. And I think that's the... That's the bit that we're worried about for people who were already using substances and are on that pathway towards dependence. We're also keeping an eye out for um, people who wouldn't ever consider that their drug and alcohol use was, um, was causing them issues, but maybe getting into a pattern of using substances at the moment to cope with feeling isolated or feeling bored or feeling frustrated with the situation. Where can people go... Perhaps they are the user themselves or they are family members of a user. Where can they go for help? We've got um, a whole bunch of online support that's available. Check out Living Sober, which is a website for um, people who are making changes to their alcohol use. It's a fantastic community that is there who can support people through that and they can they can go on there, they can look at what other people are doing and see similar experiences. Um, that website is livingsober.org.nz. Other websites that are helpful, Drug Help. Drug Help has a, we put a tab up there specifically relating to the current situation with COVID-19, where people can have a look through to find more information about how to minimize their use, how to manage withdrawal symptoms, how to support others in their household and other changes that they may need to make during this time. And for those people who already are in recovery, how to shift some of their in-person networks that are keeping them in recovery into virtual networks um, as well so that they can stay in recovery. We also have that information on our Drug Foundation website, a specific tab for COVID-19 and as we have the conversations with different services across the country we're making sure that we keep both those websites updated with with anything new that we're finding.
Even with the lockdown, some dealers are likely to remain operating, potentially catching or passing along the virus to their clients. I asked Ben if the police might have a role to play in making sure that if drugs are being dealt, it's at least being dealt safely. We have had um, conversations with the police and they've been part of some of the meetings that we've gone into as well. Together with them, we're keeping an eye out on, on what it is that our communities are hearing and looking at different solutions that we may have. Our police in New Zealand are really fantastic with um, giving harm reduction advice when they see it as well. Um, we know that with some of the recent law changes, um, the police are focusing on a health response where they can give advice unless it's in the public interest to prosecute. Um, so we want to make sure that as many of them as possible have the know where to go for the advice that people might be needing in this situation. I think the police have other things to focus on aside from carrying a pack of um, of harm reduction equipment and stuff out with them. Um, but that would be fantastic to see at some point in the future. Thanks for listening. Please remember to send in your questions for Dr. Patricia Priest. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Kia homaru, kia kaha. Mā te wā. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Slime. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. 